Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In T-minus 3, 2, 1, we begin the fun. Touring our way through the NBA from that big, big apple to the place by the bay. Is your mind buckled in? Because it's time to begin. Sacred and friends are doing it again. The Hangtime Podcast is the spot, so sit back, relax, because the show's about to drop. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Sacred Smith, here in Atlanta. We've got a very interesting guest and show lined up for you today. We have the director, writer, and producer of Jump Shot, the Kenny Saylor story, a documentary executive produced by Golden State Warriors two-time MVP Stephen Curry about the man who, believe it or not, invented the modern-day jump shot, Kenny Saylor's, an unbelievable life and times in and out of basketball. Jacob Hamilton, the director, director, writer, and producer, is joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast to tell us about the journey from the initial thought of, of how to make a story like this come to life and seeing the final product hit theaters this April. So dive in just a little bit off the beaten path from our normal conversations here on the Hang Time Podcast, but something very interesting and timely when you think about it that you might want to check out. Jacob Hamilton, the director, writer, producer of Jump Shot, the Kenny Saylor story is joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Jacob, thanks for taking some time. And I, I got to tell you, this is one of the more remarkable stories, not just a basketball story, but just an unbelievable human story that I've ever heard. Um, how, how do you describe this film to people when you're trying to explain exactly what Kenny Saylor's story was about? It's a tough one to pin down just because it does cover so much ground and so much life. But the way that I've been able to best describe it is it's like, Forrest Gump meets Hoosiers meets Into the Wild. <laughs> now, when when did you first get wind of this story? Like just just his his basketball story. When did he first come to your attention? So Kenny's story first came to my attention back in 2011. Uh, I am a cinematographer by trade, so I'm usually helping other filmmakers tell their stories. But around that time, I was ready to step out and started telling my own and uh, I was searching for ideas and came across a two minute audio interview that somebody did with Kenny. Uh, and it was a very obviously short, simple story. It's about the first time he shot in over his brother uh, on their farm and how he was benched his first season in the NBA because 
jump shot wasn't really welcomed at that time. And uh, I was immediately captivated, you know, by the title, first off, being like the guy who created the jump shot. And, you know, like most people that hear the story, they're kind of in shock that, you know, wait, the, the jump shot didn't always exist. Like, what did the game look like back then? And so that immediately caught my interest, just being a sports, you know, I grew up playing sports and uh, love, mm-hmm. you know, great origin stories. But as I began to dig deeper into who Kenny was as a person, that's when I began to realize that there is probably something a lot bigger here uh, that needs to be unearthed. Hmm. So in addition to him being a, uh, an NBA player, a college All-American, won a national championship, um, at the University of Wyoming back in the 40s. His his story takes a, an unbelievably wild and interesting turn. He goes to to the Marines and, 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 you know, leads men in World War II, which is stunning. Um, comes back and, and dives back into his athletic career, back into his basketball career, plays in the NBA for the Celtics. And then when he's done, packs up and goes to Alaska for, for 35 years when you, when you got to that part of his story, did you did you stop and scratch your head and say, "What in the world?" I mean, it it was unbelievable watching his transformation from stage to stage of his life. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of those those turns in the story that people do not see coming. Uh, you kind of you know the first act kind of we're moving out of the basketball almost by the first act, at least what one would think is like the primary part of basketball in his life, uh, and so. Mm-hmm people are wondering very real on like, wait, where is this, where is the story going? And all of a sudden you find yourself dropped in the middle of nowhere in Alaska where Kenny was homesteading in the sixties, you know, living with no electricity, no running water. Uh, you know, they're, they're building their own cabins out there living in the wilderness. And, uh, you know, what, what's funny is basketball does catch up to him there because when the community that he's living in, uh, discovers that he did, once play in the NBA and what the Boston Celtics were, who obviously were a huge powerhouse around that time. Uh, they were like, Hey, we, uh, we could use a coach for our women's basketball team. If you, uh, wanna, if you want to do that in your <laughs> off season during the hunting, you know, hunting and guiding and outfitting. And he did. And uh, he had, he created a, a powerhouse up there in Alaska and, and played an instrumental part in introducing uh, basketball to women at that time in the state because it, it didn't exist in the public school system. So he really did play an instrumental part in putting together a, a state tournament for the public school systems. You, you had such an amazing amount of uh, different voices in, in the in the film. I mean, Bobby Knight, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, uh, Tim Legler, all, all these different people and faces people recognize, just scores of, of uh, people affiliated with the game of basketball. How did how did you intersect all of those figures with this story? I mean, that this must have been an unbelievable amount of groundwork just trying to gather all of those different perspectives on it and then educating them on who Kenny Saylor was. Yeah, that's a great question because nobody knows who Kenny Saylor is. <laughs> So you're really starting with a fresh slate. And, you know, what most documentaries, uh, you start with the people who are most accessible to you and your character. So obviously, you know, Kenny was the first person we sat down and, and interviewed. And from there, we began to look at, okay, now who, who's in his circle? And that would obviously be, you know, individuals from the University of Wyoming, 
uh, and then like friends and family. And then from there, we began to do more research and figure out, you know, who are some of these guys that, you know, Kenny either played with, which there aren't that many left because, you know, Kenny was in his 90s around that time. And, uh, and then we started finding guys that actually saw Kenny play. Uh, so Bob Knight had heard of Kenny before when he was playing back in the day and coaching. Uh, and obviously he was younger, but, uh, Judd Heathcote, uh, the late Judd Heathcote at Michigan state, uh, he actually traveled to Denver to watch Kenny play in the AAU tournament because he heard of this guy who was shooting a jump shot. And so, you know, that's, you know, where it led to there. Uh, and then from there, you know, you reach out to the guys that have a voice, you know, the men and women that have a voice in the, in the sport today. And that led us to the Tim Leglers, the Nancy Liebermans, the Steph Curry's and Kevin Durant's. And like I said earlier, these guys, they don't know who Kenny is. And so uh, some of them got to watch, we got to share an earlier version of the film or some clips of the film. Uh, but a lot of it was formulated with the questions to kind of having to set up overall history of, somebody that was a pioneer and hoping that they're able to connect with, you know, the questions that we were, we were providing them. Uh, and then on top of that, the biggest challenge was how you get these guys, you know, to really engage with Kenny's story. And we, uh, came up with, we had a couple different ideas and one finally worked for us where, uh, you know, we get to share some photographic evidence of Kenny's jump shot or some video, uh, like kind of like a highlight reel almost of what Kenny was doing on the court back then. Because there, there are people that if you're not familiar with the sport of basketball, you could watch this old black and white footage from 1940s and, and not be impressed because the game really was, <laughs> it was, it was a different game, you know, like, there's a yeah. lot of black and white footage, and I think we did a pretty good job of trying to make it somewhat entertaining in the film. But if you're going to sit there and watch it, it's it's really boring. And if you don't know what to look for, uh, you're not going to be impressed with what Kenny was doing at that time. And so to be able to hand over, like we ended up handing an iPad over to these guys and capturing their raw reactions to how Kenny was playing in the 1940s and to see – you know, a Kevin Durant, a Steph Curry, a Nancy Lieberman, Clark Kellogg, watch these guys, watch Kenny play and be like, I can't believe he was doing this, you know, 60, 70 years ago. This is amazing. Um, it really adds, adds some clout to, uh, for the audience to see that, you know, Kenny was legit, you know, back then and was doing things that nobody had, had been doing before. Yeah, and, and Steph clearly seems like he connected to, to what he felt like was a kindred spirit as a player um, in terms of, of how Kenny Saylor's played the game really as a visionary kind of before his time. Um, wh- how did Steph become involved in the project in the form of, a, of an executive producer? Was it after he'd seen some of the stuff that was going on and wanted to get involved? Yeah, so we had uh, the opportunity to get to share the film, uh, an early version of the film with Steph and his team. And uh, we sent over just because we were hoping to maybe sit down with him and do an interview. You know, we looked at the, you know, we put together a list of who are some of the greatest shooters of all time. And obviously he's on that list. And so we, you know, shot for the moon. And uh, when we were able to get, sit down and share the film with him, uh, he loved it. And I think, you know, from, you know, not only for his love of basketball, but he also saw through who the, who Kenny was as a person and what Kenny stood for. You know, his 
his faith, his love for his family and how he championed women's basketball. And he was like, I, I would absolutely love to be in the film, but are there some other ways that I could be involved beyond that? Um, and that was not something we were anticipating. And uh, we obviously were very excited to engage in those conversations to where it led to Steph being an executive producer. And so, I mean, it's just remarkable. Uh, he, and, he and Kevin Durant, like you said, they lent such a current credibility to, to the story, watching it and, you know, them kind of understanding the, the history of the game that they carry every day as current NBA players. Um, what the, the thing that really intrigues me about stories like these, because I, I get like a lot of people, we, we kind of get in a vacuum covering the NBA on a daily basis or being around the game on a regular basis. But to somebody who's looking at it from a totally different perspective, what what caught you first? Was it the basketball fan in you that recognized this was something that, that needed to be a story that needed to be told? Or was it the filmmaker in you that recognized this is a great story and it would resonate beyond just basketball, just the unbelievable adventurous story of this guy's life? Yeah. the So like most, it, it is, you know, what piqued my interest initially was the basketball perspective of it. But um, there's a story that I came across in an article when I was doing my research before I even reached out to Kenny that I think solidified uh, my thoughts that this is going to be something bigger that I think people beyond the sport of basketball are going to be able to resonate with. And uh, I found this story, uh, I, I don't even know when it was published, but Kenny was sitting down with one of his closest friends uh, one March and they were watching the NCAA tournament, March Madness. And Kenny's friend, you know, asked Kenny, Hey, what, uh, who's in your final four? What teams, you know, asking the question, what teams do you think are going to make it to the, the championship round? And Kenny sat there and kind of thought for a little bit. And, uh, to his friend's surprise, Kenny responded, God, husband, father, U.S. Marine. That's my final four. Uh, and when I read that story, I was like, oh, man, like this guy gets it. Like he's living for something bigger than himself. Uh, and I think that this is a story that the world is, is going to connect with, because I think we we all look up and admire, you know, those people uh, that, you know, live for something more than themselves. I mean, you could say Kenny, arguably one, one could argue that Kenny define the game of basketball by introducing the modern day jump shot, you know, to the pros and playing on the stage that he was at that level, but the game never defined who he was. And, uh, that's kind of the, that was the, the, the theme of the film that I was wanting to make, uh, from, from the get go. That's where we wanted to go with the film. Yeah. It's, it's a quintessential American story. I was thinking about it as you, you hear about the, the love affair that he and his wife had for all those years and for for him to pack up and, and just extricate himself from everything he knew, you know, from a potential future in basketball, be it as a coach, um, as, an, as an announcer, whatever, to go to Alaska. I mean, I, I was literally halfway through, I'm going, this is three movies rolled into one, <laughs> like you said. I mean, it's three unbelievable mm-hmm. story arcs in this guy's life. Um, and then to see the footage of him at, at his advanced stage, you know, when he, I love the way it starts when he comes into the gym and he's scrambling around dribbling the ball. You just have no idea 
what you're getting into um, in this story. So for, for technique wise, and, I, and I'm, an, I'm not a uh, anybody that's schooled in how to make films and and how you execute these things. I know you've, you've done it all, obviously. Um, what is what's the process for the, the creative process for crafting a story like this, where a documentary is different from a feature film, obviously you're dealing with real life things, real people. So, so much, only so much can be recreated. A lot of it has to be factual things that you deal with. How do you, how do you go into that process as a filmmaker, just creative? Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing that sets this story apart, this film apart from a lot of, you know, kind of historical based documentaries is that we get to spend time with the subject of the film. Kenny is a key player in this documentary. And it would be a very different story if we did not to get, if we weren't able to sit with him, spend some days with him in the film. So one, I think that was a huge plus that we had uh, getting to see him demonstrate his jump shot on the court and talk about how he would, you know, defend players and, how you would teach his, his kids, you know, when he was coaching back in the day. So that, that's one exciting aspect that, you know, we were able to include in the film. And, you know, it, obviously this story takes place a long time ago. And so you're going to have to have some historical elements in it, but having that ability to drop into what is going on today really helps break up the story. Some change the momentum and keep, audiences, you know, on their seats. Uh, It's not something where you just flow right through it and you don't, you know, there isn't anything that you, you know, don't anticipate. And so uh, that plays a huge part. Uh, But, you know, uh, having to rely on a lot of archival material, um, we were very, very grateful and blessed that uh, Kenny's wife saved a ton of newspapers, photographs, photographs, Every, magazine covers, everything that Kenny was basically featured in or mentioned, there were scrapbooks of just endless amount of material that we were able uh, to to put together and scan and incorporate into the film to really help build out this historical side of, of Kenny's life. And then on top of that, you know, Kenny was, was a pioneer on the basketball court, but this guy was running around with an eight millimeter camera filming everything that, you know, he was doing at that time. And uh, so all of his guiding and outfitting in the, in the fifties and sixties, like we have like the footage you see in the film is stuff that he actually captured. Like that is through, you know, the eye of, of Kenny's perspective uh, of all that footage. And you get to see his wife and his kids uh, growing up. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's an endless amount, of material that we could have used, but we always could have used more. You know, you said there are definitely three films in there. And if we could have had a little bit more coverage or started the film, you know, a decade or so earlier, we might've been able to sit down with more people and get access to more stuff that we didn't get to. Sure. So jump shot, the Kenny Saylor story, it won the, the 2019 Heartland International Film Festival audience choice award and the grand jury award for best documentary at the uh, at Dead Center Film Festival. What kind of undertaking is this in terms of time that it takes to initiate this project and complete it? I, you know, hmm. I deal in a realm, in a media realm, where, you know, you spend three weeks reporting and writing a story, and that's a long time. I would imagine this is something that's years in the making. Yes, it is. <laughs> so 2011, uh, is when I first began this 
the story. And I had just wrapped up helping a friend uh, on his featured documentary around that time, maybe like 2009, 2010. And he was in his seventh year of completing that film. <laughs> and so I kind of went into this story knowing that, all right, I'm, I'm probably going to be in this for the long haul. Um, and so I was 26 when I first started working on this film. I am 35 now. And so, you know, when this premiered at South by earlier or this past year, uh, that was seven years from when we, you know, first began to work on this project, which if you do the math is a fifth of my life, which is pretty crazy to think about. Um, and so it, it, it takes, you're in for the long haul and, uh, it, there were, we started out with a short film. Uh, that short film was just from Kenny's perspective and it was only seven minutes. So we just, you know, touch and go and just fly through, you know, the, the main heartbeats of what his story was. Uh, and we were able to use that as a pitch piece basically to be able to share that with potential investors and people who are interested in helping us tell the story. Uh, and through there, we applied for some grants and got some grants. Um, you know, out of that to help keep the thing, to keep the, the film afloat until we were able to build a, a team around us. And it started out with just me uh, and a producer and a small crew. And from there, you know, it, it grew much, much larger um, to an, an amazing team that, you know, we would not be where we are today if it weren't for them. Uh, it's document filmmaking can be, uh, when you're in the beginning phases, the stage of pre-production can be a pretty lonely uh, place because a lot of it rests on your shoulders to, to keep the ship moving. Uh, but as you get further down the line, uh, it, it, you've got to build a team of great people to, that are going to be better at a lot of different things than you are. And I'm thankful that I had an incredible team uh, to help carry the load with me. And it's been, it's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, your history in, in film in filmmaking, how did you get started? How did how did you begin a journey like that? I mean, as you mentioned, you're 35, so you're still a very young man, but you've done quite a bit already. How, how do you start that journey, you know, just becoming a filmmaker and, and, and learning that trade? Yeah, uh, you... Uh toss yourself in the deep end and learn how to swim. <laughs> it's trial by fire. <laughs> I, uh, I, so when I, when I, when I was in high school, um, I played every sport under the sun, baseball, football, basketball, swam, uh, track. And my senior year, I decided that I was not going to play in college. Um, and all of a sudden I had all this free time on my hands and it was kind of like, well, what am I going to do? with my life now, you know, sports were everything, uh, ate, slept, breathed, you know, everything sports. And I came across a multimedia class, my second semester of my senior year of high school and fell in love with editing, uh, and, uh, got a camera and just kind of started screwing around with friends and doing, uh, random videos, you know, at our, at our homes and doing highlight videos for my high school football team. Uh, and then from there, I went to university at Texas A&M University, and they don't have a film program there. I actually studied engineering because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and all of a sudden, I'm stuck in engineering school being like, I don't know if I want to do this or not. Uh, but I don't know any other filmmakers. So I was like, well, I better stick it out because this will be a plan B when film doesn't work someday. 
Uh, but while I was there, I started working with the university, uh, the athletic department. And uh, I got to kind of cut my teeth there and uh, get my feet wet and learn a lot of the basics uh, behind camera work and editing and, and whatnot and was able to take that and apply it in the real world after I graduated uh, when I moved to Austin, Texas. And have been in Austin, Texas for almost 12 years now uh, doing film full time. Okay, now you're a Texas guy, so I got to ask. You got three really interesting Texas teams in the NBA. Yeah. You know, you got the Spurs, who have been kind of the standard. Um, you got Dallas in a, in a Mavericks team and an owner in Mark Cuban who probably deserves a, a, a documentary or a feature film of his own at some point. Um, and, and then you have the Houston Rockets, who have maybe the most dynamic team currently of those Texas teams. Who do you watch uh, of, of those teams on a regular basis and root for? I, I So I'm from Houston, so I am a, I am a Rockets fan. And, okay. uh, I, you know, my childhood was in the 90s, and so uh, it was a very exciting time to be a Rockets fan. Uh, back-to-back championships in 92-93 uh, and 93-94 with, you know, Akeem Olajuwon and uh, Clyde oh, yeah. Drexler, Robert Ory, all those guys. And, uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. Rockets are, are, are there, but my grandfather's favorite player was, was Tim Duncan. So, uh, I watched a lot of, you know, Spurs basketball as well growing up. Right. Now, if, uh, I don't know if you know, but the, the Rockets are doing this small ball thing now where they're trying to, once again, Mike D'Antoni, Darren Moore, they're trying to revolutionize how people play. They're going to try and, Skin a cat with with a the tallest player on the floor at any given time being six seven. What what are your thoughts on that as a fan? Are you are you all in for the Rockets trying to to go about this in an unorthodox way, or do you think that's maybe biting off more than they can chew? You know, I I am no expert in basketball. I can tell you that after uh, I, I retired my my eighth grade season as probably like this, but then it's. Dennis Rodman of my basketball team. I was all defense, no offense. Um, <laughs> but uh, hey, whatever whatever they're able to do to to pull off a win, I'm all for it. I mean, they obviously have some big personalities on that team, uh, and so I know that they're going to have some growing pains. But uh, it's exciting to see them all come together, and uh, I mean, it 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 does seem to be working. So um, I'm all for it. Yeah, sounds interesting. Listen, I, I know that. The dedication, you know, that it requires to to make films. You mentioned the time consumption. You know, the years of, of you know hard work that goes into it. Um, now that this film, you know, Jump Shot, the, the Kenny Saylor story is out and available for people to consume it. What does that do for you now in terms of appreciating the story and, and the project and all the grind that went into it? I mean, it, it has to feel good now seeing seeing it finished kind of seeing it through and, and watching people's reaction to it. I, I would imagine, you know, that, that Steph is going to, is going to be very instrumental in, in spreading it out to the masses and certainly amongst the current players. But just what does that feel like for you as, as, as the guy who initiated this concept and saw it through? The greatest joy I think that, you know, any creative can have um, specifically a filmmaker is to be able to get to share a film with a live audience. Um, and that's something, you know, cause in today's age, so much content's created and it's just, it goes on to the web, goes on TV and you don't really get to experience 
the story of the film unfold with, with people in a theater very often anymore. And so we're, we're very, very fortunate to have partnered with Aspiration Entertainment, Trafalgar Releasing, who are uh, helping us get the film into theaters um, come April 2nd across the nation uh, because it, it's an absolute joy um, to get to hear audiences ooh and awe and, and cry and gasp and just be moved by a story uh, about an incredible man. So uh, to have worked on something for this long, and to finally see it get out there. Cause there were days where I was like, I don't think this is ever going to be completed. You know, like there's just no way I, I, I don't see us getting to the finish line. Um, but, uh, but because of an incredible team that we've put together, um, it's, it's happening. And so it's, it's pretty surreal and uh, just excited to get to share something that is very near and dear to my heart with so many people uh, and, and, and inspire, hopefully it inspires a lot of folks that get to see the film. No question, man. Jacob, um, I appreciate it. I, I, I loved watching it. Uh, it. It had me wrestling with my own self this morning, wondering how much of the history of the game and the personalities of the game have gone into the ether over the years to just, you know, literally forgotten about. I thought that was something that resonated with me when I heard people continue to talk about it in the film, just how you can be out of sight and completely out of mind and yet still be so integral to the history of something. Um, so this Kenny Saylor story, bringing it to the masses is just, I think it's a, a fantastic opportunity for a lot of us who think we know the game to get schooled on, on some part of the history of it that we really never knew about. And, um, and I appreciate, like I said, all the hard work that it takes to put something like this together, man. It's, it's a fantastic film. I hope as many people see it as possible. Well, thank you so much and really do appreciate you guys featuring us. Um, it's awesome. So we, we're, we're honored to be here. So thank you for having me today. Thank you. No doubt. Thank you, Jacob. And we will look forward to what you got coming next, man. We appreciate it. All righty. Have a great one. All right. Cannot thank Jacob Hamilton enough, the director, the writer, the producer of Jump Shot, the Kenny Saylor story for joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. You're going to enjoy this movie. I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen it. Actually, I've watched it twice. And uh, it, it's just an unbelievable story, a piece of the NBA game and the history of the game that has been lost to time. So it's something that really is going to resonate with you if you're a junkie like I am about the game and, and where it's evolved from, from its initial stages back in the, you know, back in the days. I'm talking Depression era stuff all the way up to the current state of the game. The Kenny Saylor story, Jump Shot. Jacob Hamilton, we appreciate you joining us on the Hangtime Podcast and sharing as much. As an added bonus on the podcast this week, we got a chance to spend some time during All-Star Weekend with one of my favorite interviews anywhere, all time. Sean Marion, champion with the Dallas Mavericks, a true 3 and D guy if there ever was one during his playing years in the NBA. No one has more self-confidence than tricks. And he calls himself that repeatedly throughout the times I've interviewed him over the years. He's talking about Luka Doncic, the Dallas Mavericks, looking back at his career, times with Dirk Nowitzki on on that championship team in Dallas, and a lot more. Um, Enjoy this time we spent with Sean Marion during All-Star Weekend. Sean Marion joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Tricks, I seen you at games. I seen you, you know, in arenas. Yeah. What, what's this part of 
basketball like for you where you get to come back now and kind of enjoy the game from that different perspective? I mean, you know, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of special. You know, I think, uh, you know, um, you know, being a legend, going yeah. uh, guy who just, I mean, I just retired, but like being around a game and kind of just uh, the, the presence that you that you when you walk in, you can you can tell that everybody the, the admiration and respect yeah. I get is it's kind of it's awesome and the love I get I get a lot of players a lot, a lot of fans and stuff telling me man I love watching you play man you just wanted to you know saying so you was one of the guys I love watching because you played so hard you competed every time you stepped on the floor and I love yeah. it and it was something that that we don't see a lot you know what I'm saying I was like it just that's a compliment you know yeah. and, I, and I, I I love it you know the fans you know they they, they they see everything that we see to a certain degree, but but at the same time though, but like you know, being a, being around the game a little bit and to, to help this next generation, you know, saying this is part of the game. You gotta give back, you know, and uh, you know, I'm able to. I'm not around hand full time, but you know, I uh, I do things with the NBA and Dallas Mavericks, and uh, you know, um, it's, it's it's cool. It's, it's definitely cool. It's a uh, interesting time in Dallas. You, you know, the current situation they got going on with a young guy in Luka Doncic who's. You know, normally you would have uh, eras, and you're gonna have a transition period yeah. between championship era, uh-huh. a guy like Dirk, uh-huh. and then you wait around for that next guy to show up. Luca, like it seemed like basketball guys was looking out for Dallas. He showed up uh, before Dirk even so left you say the scene. You immediately, know? I you say immediately. <laughs> I mean, listen, you know, you can't you can't get out of somebody's way. Yeah, you know, I think he's a special talent, and he's uh, he's very he's. he's He's unique, man. You know, I, I I play against a lot of players, and I've seen a lot of players, man. The the confidence he he has and the mindset he has, as young as he is, though, is very rare. Yeah, I ain't seen a lot of players. And I play against a lot yeah. of people, yeah. and I ain't see the the confidence arrogance he has yeah. like that in a lot of guys. Not at twenty, I would imagine. No. Not that a young age, yeah. No. Yeah. Not, not even now. Not even older age. <laughs> right, Some right. guys still don't have that mentality. He right, got. right. Yeah. You think that's a product of those all those years overseas playing at that professional level? Maybe. I mean, or is listen, it just him? Just. I mean, it could be. It could, I think it's a, a a product of both. Yeah. Environment, yeah. growing the, the the background, his history growing yeah. up, and his competition level, everything. I think it all coincides and flows with him. And yeah. uh, great kid. And a uh, great personality, man. But like, he just have a he has an arrogance to him that I've yeah. never seen in a, in a young guy that talent or that long, a lot. I don't see in a lot of guys. Yeah. I mean, they can they can act like they got this, but when it comes time for for you to do certain things in Florida, you know, some people just shy away from it or yeah. just kind of hide. I mean, you know, hide away from it. But like, he 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 takes a challenge and does it. Yeah, it's funny. Arrogance is an interesting word. I call it supreme confidence sometimes yeah. too. Yeah. You had. Brendan Haywood and I have been laughing about this, talking about this recently. You had some of the greatest all-time confidence I've ever seen from a human being in a high-pressure, high-leverage situation during the finals. Mavericks in the heat. LeBron at what people thought was going to be the height of his thing, you know, his Uh, first year. Yeah. Thought he was just going to come in. How many they said he was going to win? Not one, not two, not. Yeah. But all those championships. And we were going to you after the playoffs throughout that whole run from Portland yeah. all the way through. And you had this confidence about that Mavericks team, about the fact that y'all going to win a championship no matter what we were saying, no matter we get done talking to you. And some of us would be like, is he like, he's already talking about this like it's done. When did you get in your mind that year that that team was getting ready to win a championship? Well, you know, so so let's, let's, let's rewind it yeah, from yeah. that same year. So beginning of this, before that season started preseason, my cousin, he's here right now over there, <laughs> he was like, he looked at our roster, he was like, y'all go out here and do what y'all going to do, y'all going to win a championship. No, no bullshit. Let's keep it 100. Right. You know, I'm candid and honest. And then, and when, so preseason came, we we're, were going and we were messing around, hanging out, and we, we ended up in Orlando, 
at the Steve house having a little cook- cookout, mm-hmm. and he had his guy tattoo guy there. Man, Jack got a tattoo of the championship trophy right. preseason. He was like, man, we won the championship this year. I was like, man, I was like, I, I, I love it. I hear it, you know. And and throughout the year, you know, it was just a, it was a, we challenged each other, but it was up and downs. You know, every teams go through their up and down yeah. through a season. Ain't, ain't no team going through a picture perfect season. You right, know what I'm saying? Right. But it was something about us when we got to the postseason. That it, like toward the end of the season, got to the postseason, we just knew. We knew a lot of things y'all didn't know. Yeah. And we knew if we showed signs of it throughout that year, now, right. like that we was capable of doing certain things on that floor. But y'all didn't want to believe it. Y'all want to y'all want to believe all this other stuff, and and uh, and you want y'all want y'all want to buy into the hype too. Right. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We 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 believed in our own hype, yeah. and we believed in each other, and uh, our uh, our confidence went to a whole nother level. And we 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 just we went through we was going through stuff. And we was like, oh my god, we gonna be, we gonna do some we gonna do some damage here. Yeah. We gonna we gonna go ahead and win this thing. And it was like, well, it was like okay, you know we we got uh, we was up uh, when we went, we beat Portland with four two. Yeah. But and then Brandon one of the games, it should have been 4-1. Yeah, Brandon should have been 4-1. Yeah, it should have been 4-1. Yeah, right. so, like, you know, he have an amazing game. Hey, that's what part of the playoffs is, yeah. you know, yeah. runs and guys come up big sometimes. You know what I'm saying? You, sometimes you can't, you can't, there's no answer for it. But right. we was able to do that, and then next thing you know, we play against Lakers. Oh, we going to get we gonna get beat by the Lakers. We're right. going to get swept by the Lakers. I'm like, y'all motherfuckers don't know shit about basketball. <laughs> Like I'm sorry, I'm cussing, but it's like, all right. We'll beep it out. Yeah, beep it out. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I just because sometimes I get really passionate. I don't right. have to cuss, but right, like, right. I just feel like I, I it need to be said. Yeah. You know, yeah. but then then it went. We went to you know, what I'm saying we was playing OKC. OKC it was yeah. like y'all. I think I think, I think well, we favored it. No, OKC no. was favored, right? Yeah. Y'all 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 took y'all y'all treated us like we was. We was nobody the whole time throughout right. that whole run. Like, I right. give us no respect. I'm right. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing, though. And one of the things I really commend, it's easy for, for people to speculate about the game because y'all, y'all speculate on, on things y'all seeing right. or, what y'all, or what, what y'all think y'all seeing. Right. Y'all not seeing the whole picture. True. And I think, True. like, sometimes you can fixate it on what, and, you, and y'all, and the media can hype up what y'all want to hype up, though. I mean, it's be real. Right. Let's right. be, y'all can create a, y'all can create a. We can a, create a narrative yes, anytime we want to. Immediately, yeah. anytime you want to. Y'all, yeah. can create, y'all can create a stipulation or narrative that's so, that's so imaginative. Stuff, and everybody buying into it because yeah. everybody's saying it. So yeah. at the end of the day, when we when we look at the the, the fallback and the, and the transition of how things broke down, we are we already knew what we was capable of doing. It's about right. us going out there doing it, right. you know. But everybody has that mindset when the season starts that oh we got we uh, their goal is to win a championship. But how many realistically can do it? And how many realistically will dedicate themselves and dedicate and buy into the system, buy into the team, and challenge each other and hold each other accountable the way you're supposed to do, and go out there and do it? Yeah. Like we did that, and we did it very confidently, and we. Knew what we was capable of doing. It was just a matter of us going out there doing it and, and showing the world. Right. And we did it. Because it's weird. I had y'all <laughs> from the first game of that playoffs all the way through, right? So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, go to Dallas. They were like, yeah. go to Dallas, do the Mavericks. Yeah. When B-Roy went off, yeah. I, I went back to our travel agent people and I was like, well, all right, I need y'all to set me up. I'm probably going to have to come back to Portland. Like, you know, because yeah. we start making plans you have based to. on each game. Yeah, you you know have I mean? to. You have to. So you it's you always got to be just prepared just in case. Yeah. Just so in case. My boys who lived in Dallas yeah. were like, I never, I never saw him because yeah. we had a guy who lived in Dallas. He yeah. used to do the Mavericks game. That, that playoff run, yeah. I was in Dallas so much, dude. My boys got sick of me. I was yeah. leaving clothes at one of my partner's <laughs> house. He was I, like, "Look, dude, yeah. you can't leave your stuff." Yeah, you might. Leave. We should just move in. <laughs> so when Miami got there and they had been on this ride, yeah, everybody just assumed. When y'all look back at it now. Do you realize how unbelievable, like, to be able the, to the get run, the yeah, run just to get we on that kind of skis? And, Look at the, I mean, listen, yeah. you know, D Wade said this to him. My man, D, he mm-hmm. told me this, and he was like, "Man, tricks enjoy this." He's like, "You, you're not gonna really enjoy what you did. Or realize what you did to after the after right. you won it. If you, right. after after it calms down." So he he ain't lying. When you yeah. got a chance to reflect on it, because I did, I did an interview for 
for um for Mac, uh, for one of the videos or whatever documentaries mm-hmm. or whatever they was like they was they didn't want to keep me out of there because it was just so heated <laughs> and so good because right. I was just telling them about the process and the mindset we had throughout the about the series and about yeah. the the adjustments and and just all this stuff that breaks down to it, it was just it was just man dude like it was it was awesome and yeah. like when you're able to to really be a part of that you know everybody sit there and say. They uh they think oh they know what's going on, like the mindset of what's going on in the locker room versus yeah. something else like no no it's 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 more than just the mindset of what's going on in the locker room it's an aura yeah. it's something that you feel you feel with your guys it's a it's a bond that you can't you can't you can't see it yeah we we see it and we feel it but y'all if you're not in that if you're not in that environment you've never been in those trenches you don't yeah. know what we're feeling what we're going through that's the part of the game that I think people <laughs> tend to to not understand really yeah. it's so much about this game. That's so awesome that you can't you can't really you can't put a word to it. Right. And when you got that kind of that mindset of you and you're a true competitor, like there's so many things that go through that through that process that you that you're thinking about that you really can't relate sometimes in words, but you can relate in expressions and stuff like that. But yeah. but y'all basing everything off what y'all see. Yeah. Now we're basing off what we're feeling that yeah. and, and and so much more. You know. Yeah. Did you uh, did you enjoy? <laughs> you played in two very distinct eras too. Like you yes. had. That seven seconds or less in Phoenix, where y'all, if if a bowel bounced a different way, yeah. maybe that history is different. Yeah. You know, I mean, from that to then Dallas to what you see now on the floor in the NBA, y'all started this yeah. pace and space and yeah. three point shoot. I mean, mm-hmm. is it is it interesting to you see how what how it's been embraced now compared to how apprehensive people were about it in Phoenix when y'all was doing it? No, not at all right now because you look at the way that what bigs do it. Don't nobody play with their back to the basket anymore. Right. Everybody wants to shoot threes now and jumpers. So, like, I mean, like, it just, it's just the evolution of the game. And then, you know, the skill level is, is rising as well with some of these other guys and they're able to shoot further and further out now. And that's just a, that's just, that's just a skill set that, you know what I'm saying, that comes with the, the growth of the game. And, uh, you know, you see, you see the, how the NBA is just being able to just keep evolving and evolving now. You know, you know, it's, it's, it creates, uh, a different kind of game now because you know you, you have you have a, a time frame where you have a, a lot more blowouts than you do mm-hmm. when you normally have, but you have a lot more high scoring games than you ever did yeah. now because nobody playing defense. There's no more physicality, so there's so many different variations of the game now. That's totally different than it was then, but but it's also more entertainment to a certain degree. Yeah. yeah. Do you when you think about placing the game <laughs> and you you know you talk about they're doing they're going to be doing documentaries like in Dallas in 50 years. That Mavericks team is still going to be that championship team. Whether it's more, whether they never win another one, whatever, yeah. it's kind of etched in stone. Like yeah. that's a part of the legend of that franchise, a championship history now yeah. of that franchise. Is it hard to absorb that when you're playing, like when like when you're going through it, knowing that this is going to be something that lasts for a lifetime? You know, I, it, it, it um, when you're playing. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. I would say partially and partially because it depends because sometimes you can get caught up in the moment. Right. But, but every time you, you, you walk into the American Airlines, you can look up to them Raptors. Right. You see you a part of history up there. It's, it's there. Yeah. It's better than the stone. Somebody can take your rings from you or whatever, but this is in, this is in the books. You know, right. so, you know what I'm saying? People often, I've seen guys lose their rings before. So, right. like, right. but I, I, I wouldn't wish that on nobody. But yeah. You see things happen. You can take a trophy away from somebody, right. but at the same time, though, that is written in the, the history banner books. Is there. It's hanging it's there. there. Yeah. You know, when you when it's written, it's written in black ink right there. You can't yeah. you can't you can't erase it. It's there. It's in the history books. You know, and if you if you know anything about it, you experienced it. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying so now now it's in your, it's in your it's in your heart, it's in your mind, it's in your spirit, man. And yeah. That's what that's what's great feeling. A lot of people have a, a difficult time figuring out what's next when they do um, when they 
finish a career. What was it like for you transitioning when you knew, all right, I'm getting ready to go into this next phase, and how do I attack that? Well, you know, I was, I was already preparing myself for life at the basketball before, mm-hmm. before I retired, but, you know, I became a father towards right. the end of my career, and, right. uh, like, that instantly changed everything. You know, I was like, you know, um, my last year, I was I was watching, watching my son grow up through a phone, right. you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't get the game where I can give it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm at peace. I, I'm a champion, you know. I I, I don't I didn't left a staple in this game. I think uh, you know, throughout my career, I, I I set out to play 15 years. I played 16. I probably could have played a couple more if I right. really wanted to. Right. But I was like, man, I'm a, I was to my son now. You know, I I I, I didn't get the game where I can give it mm-hmm. and at, the, at the at the playing part. You know what I'm saying? But but like it was, it's, it's it's time for me moving to the next phase of my life. No doubt. It's good to see you as always, man. I, pleasure. I pleasure. tell people that there's not a more confident dude I've ever seen in the locker room <laughs> than you. During them finals, man, yeah. that, that was special stuff. Yeah, no doubt, Appreciate man. you. Appreciate All right, now. Kudos to Jacob Hamilton and Sean Marion for spending some quality time with us on the Hangtime Podcast this week. I know it was a lot, a whole lot for you to absorb, but I hope you spent the time and enjoyed it. Just digest some of the you know insights that you get from around the basketball world. It's not just players, coaches, and front office people. It's fans. It's filmmakers. It's everybody. The, the, the ecosystem is huge around the NBA. And I think, you know, anytime we get a chance to capture that, we want to make sure we do it for you. Um, We'll be back next week in the stretch run here of the NBA regular season. So we'll have more for you right here next week on the Hang Time Podcast. This one is done, but in case you want another one, here's the link to all the fun from Sekou Smith's Hang Time Run. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com slash Hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans.